0: One and all to this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show here on The Basement Podcast. I am, of course, your host, world-renowned sports radio show personality, Logan Blackman. And we are here on this June 12th edition here at 9.06 in the morning. We are getting this in. As a reminder, I didn't think I would be able to get this in today because one of my closest friends is getting married today. I didn't know if I'd have enough time, but I got up early enough to where I can get this in and then upload it without having to worry about running late, I guess. So we are here, and we are live at one point or another, I guess, here in Urbandale, Iowa. And in Urbandale, it's a really nice day. 71 degrees and sunny right now. Looks like sun just throughout the rest of the day. Just no clouds in the sky. Perfect day for a wedding, to say the least. Chance of rain, 0%. Wind's coming out of the east at 1 mile an hour. Feels like 71, air quality is good, and it's going to be a high of 87, which should be reached some point around 3 today, maybe a little bit later than that, but yeah, it's a beautiful day to start off. It's just a a great way to start off your Friday, and for the weekend, it's going to be 81 degrees and sunny on Saturday and Sunday, 82 degrees, partly cloudy, it's just going to be a beautiful week. Other than the next Saturday, it's going to be very awesome, it's a very beautiful B-E-A-U to a full week ahead of us here in Urbandale, Iowa, and just the Des Moines area as well. And we are excited to be here today. I'm I'm pumped for today, because Fridays are my favorite day to do the Logan Plattman Show, because, of course, we got Friday Fun Day. We got Top 5 Dumbest. This week, we are doing the Chicago Bears, so that should be a, a lot of fun. I was going to do the Bills. I was like, ah, we could save that one for later. Let's do the Bears this week. We also got some college football stuff to talk about. We got other soccer leagues kicking off as well. And, of course, the KBO. Cannot forget about the KBO, the Korean Baseball Organization. We have games and that going on as well. So let's just, go, let's just dive straight into the content for today. So here on Logan Blackman Show, if you are new to the show, every single Friday, we do this thing called Friday Fun Day, where I look at a tier list and do a tier list just of uh, things that are going on in the world right now so we've done tier lists on like uh rappers when i had a uh, one of my favorite rap groups released an album and speaking of that spillage village just dropped a song yesterday it's called end of days i would really recommend listening to it i put it on in my instagram story if you want to go listen to it and and since we're on the topic of that go follow the logan blackman show and myself on all forms of social media go follow the twitter account at the underscore lb underscore show at my personal Twitter account, at Logan underscore Blackman. Go search those both on Instagram, the Logan Blackman Show and Logan Blackman on Instagram. Go like the Facebook page, the Logan Blackman Show on Facebook it has 111 likes right now. So we'd like to keep that going upwards. I'm just happy we have over 100 likes on the Facebook page. And then go subscribe to the YouTube channel. We got a very good video planned for you in the near future. I haven't told anybody except for my sister and I think one other person of the co- what is in the video. I haven't told him what it's about yet, but it's going to be a good one. So I very much recommend waiting for that when we get the technology for that. And once we get the technology for that, we will have a camera set up in my quote-unquote office, I guess, and we will film the Logan Blackman Show podcast. And I got a green screen up in Cedar Falls if you've seen that video of the Chicago Bears quiz which I didn't even plan... That's not why I planned the Chicago Bears quiz today, but it just worked out like that. You've seen my green screen. So we'll bring that down here as well, so I'll we'll have a green screen behind me because my mom doesn't want to, uh, the public to see our awesome shelving fixture behind me. So we'll use the green screen as a like kind of shield for everything bad that goes on in this office right now, I guess. But, yeah, that was a little random tidbit. But, yeah, we have... Tier list that we do every single Friday, and it all surrounds about things that have been going on in the world. And right now, we with La Liga starting yesterday, they came back yesterday with Real Batista versus Sevilla. Talk about that game in a little bit. I was thinking about doing a La Liga tier list, but there is not a lot of La Liga tier lists out there. And outside of the realms of Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atlético Madrid, Sevilla, Valencia. Villarreal to a certain extent, Athletic Bilbao to a certain extent. I don't know a whole lot about the lower-level teams in the league. Like, if if I found a Premier League quiz and ranked players, I would do the Premier League quiz like that. It would be so easy. I've followed the Premier League my entire life extensively ever since I first saw Wayne Rooney and Cristiano Ronaldo play for Manchester United. I've been obsessed with the Premier League. That's why we did a full premier league striker tier list last week we just went over a lot of the history of the premier league and its strikers the premier league starts up next week so we are very excited for that here on the logan blackman show but for today with there being not a lot of la liga tier lists i saw this on twitter today. i didn't realize this but euro 2020 and copa america 2020 were both supposed to start today That both of them of course have been pushed back till next year It's a very sad time, but it was the smart thing to do with the current environment and for current climate, which we are in right now. So kind of what we did a few weeks ago, where we ranked the top 50 players of the 2010s from 2010 to 2020, this is the top 60 players of 2020. So it's kind of the same thing that we've been doing, but it's a little different. So get off me. (laughs) I don't... I don't care. You could say it's the exact same tier list, but it's not because there's different players on it. And if you remember right, l- correctly, uh, the tier list that we made a few weeks ago with regards to the players of the 2020 or the the 2010s, I struggled once we got down to the 40s and 50s range with putting legends down there. But you have to remember, these guys only played for a certain number of years in the 2000s, like, whereas Messi and Ronaldo were at their peaks and even the younger players are at their peaks in the 2010s a lot of these players were kind of moving towards the latter parts of their career like a philip lom and chavi carlos puyo like all those guys they were moving to the latter parts of their career so you couldn't put them up there even though they are better than some of the players that were at the top of the list but you had to put them at the bottom because based off the 2010s they weren't at their individual best they might have won a lot of things like Carlos Puglia won a World Cup in 2010. Philip Lom captained us uh, Germany to a World Cup in 2014. But were they at their best then? Philip Lom, you could probably say He's a very experienced player, very smart player. Pep Guardiola said he was the smartest player he's ever coached, but he only played in the decade for four years. So can we put him up there at the top? No. And for the players that are have played only four years, but on the latter part of going they've started in 2016 have gone to 2017 or 2020 they've been at their best at that time so that's why you see those players at the top of this tier list is short is sorely 2020 so we got players like trent alexander arnold allison uh well erling holland like we got all these players that weren't even in the list before these are all players that are at the top their peak of their powers right now i guess you could say so without further ado Let's get this tier list underway and at the top number 1 is still Lionel Messi, the reigning Ballon d'Or winner. He goes number 1 on this list. Cristiano Ronaldo obviously accompanies Messi up there as well. Virgil van Dijk, he has to go up there as well as he came 3rd in the ballot or was it second or third in the Ballon d'Or voting last year. Neymar, he goes up there as well for one of the best players in 2020 killing Mbappe there's not really much thinking needed to go on with that top five I don't think that I don't think there's really any competition for that I think Kevin De Bruyne when healthy is the best midfielder in the Premier League I think it's a competition between him and Van Dyke for the best overall player but he's amazing he is an absolutely amazing player. In regards to 2020 Erling Holland has to go up there as well. He has scored thir- over 30 goals. He scored about 17 or 14, it's one of those two numbers for whatever reason I, that's coming to my head for RB Leipzig or RB Salzburg. He scored 10 goals in the Champions League and he scored 10 goals in the Bundesliga. He is one of the best players of 2020. Jadon Sancho has to go up there as well. Third in the Bundesliga in scoring. I think he's responsible for the most goals in the Bundesliga in regards to goals and assists. Got his first hat trick of his career as of his professional career against Paderborn a few weeks ago. and Sancho, one of the best players in the world, has to go on top of this list. And what are we doing right now? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players. So we need two more players to go into this top ten. I think Trent Alexander Arnold, though very young, should go into the top ten players of the 2020s. He is a ridiculous player. He's easily the best right back in the world. So, or not, e- I shouldn't say easy. I should not say easily, but he is one of the, if not the best right back in the world. And then finally, Robert Lewandowski, top scorer in the Bundesliga right now. He has to go in the top. top. I don't know why I said Trent Alexander-Arnold before. Robert Lewandowski, but that is your top 10. Messi, this is in no order. Messi, Ronaldo, Virgil van Dyke, Neymar, Mbappe, Kevin De Bruyne, Erling Haaland, Jaden Sancho, Robert Lewandowski, and Trent alexander Now, going through 11 through 20, you'll see a lot of Liverpool players here. So, Mo Salah will definitely be up there. Sadio Mane will definitely be up there. Uh, Andrew Robertson, their left back, one of the best, if not the best left back in the world right now. Uh, Allison will go up there. So, there's just four straight Liverpool players. That's how insane Liverpool's team is. Just got player after player after player. In the top, that's all their players that are on this list. So one, two, three, four, five, six players are in the top twenty players in the world. Easy. How insane is that? To it's ridiculous to think of how crazy this team is. It's crazy. Another player I got to put up there is Serge Gnabry of uh, Bayern Munich, one of their second top scorer for them this season in Germany. I know he hasn't; they haven't played internationals football or soccer, whatever you want to call it, in a little bit. But in his Germany career, he has 13 goals in 13 appearances. He is just a fantastic player. I think we also have to throw Sergio Aguero up there as well. One of the top players in the Premier League. And I also think we can throw Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang up at the top as well. Uh, won the Golden Boot last year, tied with Mo Salah and Sadio Mane. He's just a fantastic player. and he, Even with age, he hasn't shown any real signs of slowing down it's kind of ridiculous to see how good he still is it's absolutely crazy now we start struggling a little bit so we got 11 12 13 14 15 16 70 so we need three more players in this list for the 2020s i think we can throw timo Werner up there as well second ah oh, timo Werner. i think he should go in the top tier should i replace him with erling holland I think those two can be exchanged out. Maybe move Trent, I don't know. Because a lot of people think Trent Alexander-Arnold is, well, not a lot of people, but few people think Trent Alexander-Arnold should win the PFA Player of the Year this year. So I don't know if I can move him down. I think it's between Holland and Werner. Werner getting a big move to Chelsea, if you believe the reports that are going on right now. Erling Holland's just been on fire for all the sides he's played for this season. But Timo Werner's just insane. He has to go somewhere on there. I, I might move him up eventually we'll see how we do here chiro Immobile. i think this is another player that i think this is a player that doesn't get enough recognition that he deserves because of uh he hasn't really done a lot outside of syria he went to Borussia dortmund didn't really do a lot there but he came back to lazio and lazio currently sits second in the league one point behind juventus and chiro Moble is the leading scorer in the league responsible for 45 percent of lazio's goals this season he has scored 27 goals out of the 60, Lazio scored this season. One point behind Juventus. They have a better goal differential. The plus 37 Juventus is plus 26. They have not lost in a while. They have lost two games all season. And they could end Juventus' stranglehold on Serie A. And Chiro Mobile. a very, a vastly underrated player for um, Lazio he is an insane and insane player now we struggle with this last one because I got a few players I'm looking at here for this last spot again this is in no order right now I'll probably order it once we are done making this list but you look at players such as Thibaut Courtois who's had a very nice second season in Real Madrid after struggling his first year N'Golo Kante uh, Antoine Griezmann then you got Kyla du Lorado Martinez, Luis Suarez, Romelu Lukaku, uh, Luka Modric, Jan Oblak, like there's so many more good players on this list, Raheem Sterling, I don't know where to put anybody, like this last spot is a difficult spot, it's hard ranking players, because it's so subjective, and a lot of people could say, oh that's the stupidest list I've ever heard of, or ever seen in my entire life, but I don't know what to do. I don't I don't know who to put there. Rafael Varane's also at the bottom of this list as well. Ugh. Okay. Let's think about this here. So, we're looking at goal scorers. Romelu Lukaku has 17 goals this season. Very nice nice little number there. Uh for La Liga and Barcelona with Luis Suarez. Suarez right now has only 11 goals and 63 goals this season for Barcelona. If we're looking at defenses, if we go back to Serie A and look at the best defenses in the league, look at Napoli's defense, who have allowed 36 goals. They have a plus five goal differential. Uh, Kaladu koulibaly is really the only world class defender available in this upcoming transfer window. He's going to be the target of a lot of teams coming after, like Manchester United, Liverpool. I've heard Newcastle are linked to him, Chelsea have been linked to him. Just a lot of Premier League teams have been linked to him and of course Juventus is going to be linked in there as well cuz they pip every single one of the best players in Serie A. But I think I'm actually going to do this. I think I'm going to throw Raheem Sterling up in the top 20. I think Raheem Sterling is one of the best players in the world. I think um as regards to skill level I think and I know he struggled on an international level, but I think he's one of the most important players for the English national team and it's insane saying that because of how weird he was when he first got to manchester city now he's been one of the best wingers in the world so i think you have to throw him at the 11 and 20 range so now i feel a little better throwing a lot of these other players up here so Kalidou koulibaly can go in the 21 to 20 to 30 range uh who else do we mention on this list I got to try and remember who I, who I even said. Yan Black can definitely go up there in the 21 to 30 range. Who else do we want to throw in this list? I think Harry Kane has to go up there as well. I know he's been injured a lot this season, but he has to go up there. Golo Conte has to go up there. Romelu Lukaku has to go up there. Luis Suarez, though he's not having the greatest season of all time, has to go up there. Um, Paulo Dybala, I think, has to go up there as well. So there is what one two three four five six seven. We need three more players. I think I did that last time where I got to to seven and then I had to count them again. Whew, this is difficult. Now we're getting. Now you don't want to disrespect players. This is the problem we are we are getting in right now. I think Leroy Sané has to go up there as well. Uh, I hate tier list. Antoine Griezmann, though he has struggled a little bit this year and hasn't been his world-class self of the 2020s, he's still one of the best players in the world, and then for this final spot for the 21 to 30 range, let's go with, so let's look at the players we have left, so we have Arthur from Barcelona, Karim Benzema, Bernardo Silva, Casemiro, Edison Cavani, Thibaut Courtois, Philippe Coutinho, Matthias De Ligt, Ousmane Dembele, Angelo Di Maria, Angel, Angel Di Maria, christian erickson jared pique luca modric riyad Maras, lorado martinez uh, Jordi alba João felix eden hazard gabriel jesus frankie de jong roberto firmino uh, fabino merlin pianich paul pogba marco royce sergio ramos Hyung sung min andre terstegen rafael Varane, jamie vardy and i don't know why vinicius is on here i'm just gonna throw vinicius at the bottom because he hasn't proven anything at his time at barcelona he's still very young so he can definitely move up a tier or two but for right now he has to go at the bottom and uh i know it hasn't been the easiest transition to the burnabout, but eden hazard is still one of the most talented players in the world on his day on his day he's easily one of the most talented players one of the best players on the face of the earth for uh or do we want to put lorado martinez up there I don't know, but Lerano Martinez will go 3140. Then we'll also throw Rafael Varan. Um Sergio Ramos will go up there as well. Who else have we got on this list that we could throw up in that tier? For this season alone, I think we could throw Kareem Benzema up there at thirty one to forty. Because if you look at his season so far that he's had for Real Madrid post Cristiano Ronaldo, Kareem Benzema is currently second on the league with 14 goals scored this season out of the 49 Real Madrid have scored this season he's been their talisman he's very been a very good link-up player for Real Madrid this season I think he has to go up there maybe you might want to lower him a tier but for right now we'll keep him there if I want to put anybody else there I think Engel Di Maria had a has had a great season for the champions of France and PSG or had a great season I can't remember if the season was canceled or not but he is having a great season for PSG. He was part of their team of the season on, uh, what do you want to call it, on FIFA. He has 14 assists, which leads uh, league uh, this season by a lot. Next closest is seven. So I think for this season, he has to go up there at the 31 to 40 range. I think we can also throw up, oh my God, that, now we're just getting to possible disrespectful range where you don't want to disrespect any of these world-class players I think Marc-Andre Terstegen has to go up there one of the best goaltenders in the world he only cost Barcelona I believe five million pounds or five million euros or something like that from Borussia Mönchengladbach and after watching him play the United States when the US beat Germany I think four to two you would never expect that he'd be one of the best goalkeepers in the world go look up his own goal not, I guess it wasn't an own goal, but look at the goal he gave up against the United States a few years ago. I think it was 2014. Maybe it was 2013. It was right before the 2014 World Cup. I can't remember if it was in 2013 or in 2014, but just just go look up that because it's it's really funny. Now, it's even funnier looking at it because he's one of the best goalkeepers in the entire world, <laughs> which is insane to think about. And I know Luka Modric is a little older, but I think he still has to go on that tier list because he won the Ballon d'Or a few years ago he won the 2018 Ballon d'Or so he has to be mentioned somewhere on this list I know he's a little older now and his legs might be gone but he's still an amazing amazing soccer player or footballer whatever you want to call it as we look further on this list I think we could throw Bernardo Silva on there was Manchester City's best player when they scored 100 points in the league the he was their best player that season I think you could say it was between him and Raheem Sterling for Manchester City's best player. And, yeah, he just doesn't get talked about as much because of how many stars are on, are on Manchester City, like Sergio Aguero, Kevin De Bruyne, Raheem Sterling, Leroy Sané. doesn't get talked about enough. But he is still one of the best players in the freaking world. I think Jamie Vardy has to go up there as well, top scorer in the Premier League this season. He might get a little disrespect because he plays for Leicester City, but he is in, he is still an amazing player. He has been consistent ever since Leicester won the won the championship in 2016. He's just, he's just been a great player. Like, you cannot hate on Jamie Vardy. I think everybody loves Jamie Vardy. I love Jamie Vardy. Jamie Vardy is an awesome awesome player. <laughs> next player on this list that we could possibly move up because if you look at it's so hard to it's so hard to rate the top parts i think are the easiest because you don't want you're like okay these guys can go up the top but once you get to the lower ranks it's like ugh, how do we how do we rank these guys it's so hard it's so hard because all these players do different things so it's all subjective like casemiro will not be able to do the exact same things as Edison Cavani. It's just not gonna happen. They play two completely different positions. One's a central defensive mid, the other one's a striker, who looks to be going he, who looks like he's gonna be leaving the part to Prince this year, who hasn't had I mean he's he's Edison Cavani, so he's still had a, a decent year for PSG, but not to the, the normal standards that he's had while playing for PSG, he's been outscored by Mbappe, Neymar, Mario Icardi There's just a lot of good players on PSG, so it's kind of hard to to separate yourself, especially when you're on the wrong side of thirty. But who do we put on here? So I think if you asked me if he was still on Tottenham, I might throw Christian Eriksen up there. But I think the person I'm going to throw up there is oh, no, I, uh, no. I think it has to be Paul Pogba. I know he's been, he's struggled a little bit with injuries recently, but I still think he's one of the best players in the world. Paul Pogba is an insane, insane player. And I'm stuck between him and this next person on here, but I think Pogba, went healthy, is one of the best midfielders in the world. Number 40, in the 41 to 50 range, I'm putting Roberto Firmino there first. His link-up play with how Liverpool play is insane. He's one of the most important players to Liverpool, but he doesn't score goals. He is a deep lying striker. He's a center forward. He's a number eight. He's a number. He's a false nine, I guess you could say. And he allows, he creates perfect passing lanes for the likes of Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane to score a bunch of goals. Like if you look at the standings right now, look at the Premier League goal scoring charts this season. You'll see Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane both in the top 10 in goals scored this season, which is insane. It's absolutely insane. It's 14 goals for for Mane, 16 for Salah, and it's all because of the space that Roberto Firmino creates for Liverpool. He's a great build-up striker. Is he one of the best strikers in the world, like pure goal-scoring strikers? Heck no. Nowhere near that list. But he's still one of the best, most underrated players in the world, I guess you could say jared pique has to go on that level i think casemiro has to go on that level i think philippe coutinho though he's had a little bit of a struggle since he left barcelona or left liverpool he still has to go up there as one of the best players in the world uh marco royce i think has to go up there merlin pianich has to go up there as well who else do we got on this list that i could just Thibaut courtois i think has to go on that level as well i've thrown one goalkeeper i think on each level bar the second level <laughs> because i got allison is the best i don't think that's really up for debate where did i start oh no other, other than the first one allison's the best goaltender in the world at the moment i think yano black second or around second and then mark-andre terstig and then tibor courtois right down there as well and if we're looking at the rest of this list um oof where do we throw the rest of these players so here we got available we got arthur edinson gavani matthias delight Usman Dembele, Christian Eriksen, Fabinho, Frankie de Jong, Gabriel Jesus, Jao Felix, Jordi Alba, Riyad Mahrez, and Hyungman. So, I think I'm going to throw Jordi Alba up there. He's one of the best uh, attacking left-backs in the world. Uh, Not great defensively, actually one of the worst defensive left-backs in the world. But, he still manages to make great plays for Barcelona every ever since he came over from I believe Valencia after Euro 2012 I believe that's right but he's been a great player for Barcelona but sometimes he you think they could upgrade on him but he's still a very talented attacking left back going on to the next person on this list it's hard it's so hard to rank these players I hate I hate doing this I mean I don't hate doing this I like doing it but it's hard. <laughs> it makes it very hard, very difficult. because like these are some great players. I think I can throw Zhao Felix on the bottom tier, because again, he's just a young player. And I think I'm going to throw Gabriel Jesus on that tier as well. So they're just young players. Gabriel Jesus was brought in from Palmeiras to take the starting job from Sergio Aguero. And all in all, he's just failed to do that. That's not anything really on him. It's just that Sergio Aguero's upped his game to a whole nother level which is crazy to think about on how insane he was when he first started. I think he has the best goals to game ratio in the premier league. I believe that's right. And it's just hard to beat a guy like that. You can't, can't keep the great ones down. And Gabriel Jesus has been a very good second striker, but he hasn't been able to dislodge the legend that is Sergio Aguero. So we have three players on the bottom 51 to 56, and that's Vinicius jr jao felix and gabriel jesus who else can we throw on that 41 to 50 range got a lot of young players here on this list but who do we throw where this gets a little it's it's very difficult to say and i'm just trying to talk so i can (laughs) sort of just sit in complete silence for the entirety of me doing this um I'm trying to look at, like, goals scored this season. Like, who's one of the top scorers in the league, but none of the players left in the Premier League, Min Sun and Riyad Mahrez are at the top there because they're all very talented, but they all do completely different things. Oh, crap. Ooh, excuse me. This just isn't fun to do. Why? (laughs) Why? It's so hard to rank people. It's... It's so hard to rank these players, especially. Geez, I don't know. I don't think Ericsson's been a great player ever since transferring from Tottenham to Inter Milan. You could say that about a lot of Inter's players, like Alexis Sanchez going on loan for Manchester United, Ashley Young, now Christian Ericsson. So I don't know where to put him on this list. Usman Dembele's had a really up and down time at Barcelona. Ever since he came over from Borussia Dortmund after that one season there. And in the season so far for Usman Dembele, he has scored a grand total of one goal. But he's only played three games this year. So, I don't really know how I can rank him on the... Like, talent-wise, yeah, I think he can be up there. But, I don't know. I think I'm going to throw Edinson Cavani up there. Maybe. That's That's a huge... Huge maybe. But for right now, as what I'm looking at right now, I think I'm gonna have to. Because I don't think there's a player on this list left that is better than Edison Giovanni, even though he's only scored four goals and only played seven games this year. Everybody else, though, is just like they haven't done a whole lot this year. Like Frankie De Jong has been good for Barcelona, but he hasn't done a lot His i think his transfer market value has gone down since transferring to barcelona so i don't know i think actually you know what i'm gonna throw arthur up there in the 41 to 50 range i believe they're barcelona's trying to move him to get merlin pianich but uh yeah i think i could definitely throw marez christian erickson usman dembele matthias delight hasn't been a great player since going over to Juventus from Ajax much like Frankie De Young. a lot expected from him young player a lot expected from him and I'm sure they'll live up to the hype eventually but as of right now it hasn't been peaches and cream that weird adage that people say sometimes like peaches and cream sounds weird to say it but it's true <laughs> and then the two players left I'm trying to decide where I want to put them. If I want to throw one of them up top and then one of them below, you got Youngman's son. You know what? I'm gonna throw Cavani down below. I'm gonna put Youngman's son up in the 41 to 50 range. So there we go. That is my tier list of best soccer players in the world 2020. We will probably, i not probably. I will look at this while I'm taking my quick little break and post it on Twitter after I feel the most comfortable with it. Cause I feel like. With Euro 2020 and Copa America supposed to start today, I felt like we had to do the best players in the world of 2020. So there we go. That is our tier list. And I hope you enjoyed that. We're going to take a quick little break here on the Logan Blackman Show. We will be back, though, to talk some football right after this. All right, everybody. Welcome back to this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show here on the Basement Podcast. Uh, During that last little break, I did edit quite a bit of... Or not quite a bit, but a little bit of the tier list that we made. I reordered everybody to put them where I thought they should be ranked on this list. So, Timo Werner, I did move up to the 1 through 10. I moved Erling Haaland down one tier. I moved Rafael Veran and Sergio Ramos up one tier. Moved Eden Hazard and Kalidu Koulibaly down one. No disrespect to either one of those players, but I think that rafael varan and sergio ramos are better defenders. i think it's just the hype of Kalidou koulibaly has this summer I think he's drawn a lot into there i also moved Gerard pique up one tier as well and i moved luka modric down one tier to the 41 to 50 range just because his legs seem to be gone and i don't he's not one of the best in the world anymore it's a little different than the tier list we made the other day or the other week because that was of the players of the decade. And in the decade, Luka Modric was one of the best players in the world. But as regards to 2020, he hasn't been there really this entire time. And I just reordered the la- the latter part of the list as well. I put Vinicius Jr. at the very bottom, followed by João Felix. Because they're just too young. They haven't done anything in their times in the, in the Spanish capital. In-, in Madrid. With Atletico Madrid for João Felix and Real Madrid for Vinicius they just still need time to develop and both have massive price tags placed on them João Felix more so with one of the most exp- I think he is the most expensive Portuguese player of all time at 19 years old after one real season of senior soccer or senior football whatever so before we get into the football American football we got some more other football to talk about I guess so we had the La Liga the La Liga La Liga <laughs> starting up yesterday with Sevilla beating Real Betis 2-0 in the Seville Derby. Goal scorers in the game for Sevilla were Lucas Ocampos, who scored a penalty in the game, and Fernando, the holding midfielder, I believe is the former Manchester City holding midfielder. But yes, Lucas Ocampos getting the goal in the 56th minute, and Fernando scoring 6 minutes later in the 62nd minute. Not a great game, for Real Betis losing to your one of your most hated rivals. Uh, Luke De Jong got the start today up or in that game up top for Sevilla. Didn't really do much in his time, but performed decently, got the win, so that's all that really matters. 2-0, score their player of the game, Lucas Ocampos, according to whoscored.com. Fernando and Luke De Jong are up there as well with a 7.9 rating. The lowest score in the game was Mark Bartra, the former Barcelona and Borussia Dortmund defender, who scored a 5 Nine in this game I got a yellow card and I would suspect gave up the penalty to Lucas Ocampos which slotted home the first goal of the season of the new season I guess for La Liga and we got games today as well with Granada taking on Getafe and Valencia taking on Levante those two games will be a little bit later today so stay tuned for those and for those of you who follow soccer but don't have a lot of great ways to actually like pay attention to soccer I would very much recommend down- downloading the Who Scored app. It'll give you all the scores, the starting lineups for each team. It'll give you statistics from the game. It'll rate each player during the game. It'll give their team of the season, uh, give you all the goal scores, all the assist numbers, the league standings, all of that stuff. It's a great app, so I'd very much recommend downloading the Who Scored app if you're trying to follow soccer but don't really have a way to follow soccer at this point in time. Then we got games tomorrow in La Liga. Espanol taking Deportivo Alves. Then we got Celta Vigo versus Villarreal. Leganes taking a Real Valladolid. And Mallorca taking on the league leaders, Barcelona. See how Barcelona does in their return. They had a lot of injuries so far this season, but so far, they're still in the top of the league. Two points above hated rivals, Real Madrid. And speaking of Real Madrid, they play Sunday. They'll be hosting Ibar at their practice facility, I believe, which makes a lot of sense. Their, Their stadium is one of the biggest in the world, they're biggest in Europe. Cause if you compare in the United States, it's a little, smaller. because like you got stadiums like Beaver stadium, uh, the big house up in Michigan, uh, Bryant Denny stadium, the Texas A&M stadium. Like there's so many massive stadiums in the United States that are over a hundred thousand Santiago Bernabéu is just under 90,000 or I think it's 80,000 maybe. So in Europe, it's one of the biggest. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense to play in front of an empty Santiago Bernabéu. So they're just going to play at their practice facility against Ibar on Sunday then we got their inner city rivals Atletico Madrid taking on Athletic Bilbao, and then the final game on Sunday is Real Sociedad versus Osasuna. And right now here are the league standings in La Liga. We have Barcelona sitting on top of the league with 58 points, followed by Real Madrid with 56. Then third is Sevilla with 50. And then Real Sociedad with 46, Getafe with 46, and then Atletico Madrid with 45. Both Real Sociedad and Getafe, who are again, on 46 points, have a plus 12 goal differential. So I'm guessing they're above, the Real Sociedad's above Getafe because of the head-to-head, but I don't know, other than goals, like the plus minus and goals differential, I don't know how La Liga does it, because every league does something a little different when they decide things like this, if they have the exact same goal differential. So I don't know why Real Sociedad's above them, so I'm just going to assume that it is because they beat them head-to-head. And then the bottom league, you got Espanol rotting at the bottom with 20 points, a minus 23 goal differential. They've allowed 46 goals, which is the most in the league. And they have only won four games, which is the least in the league. Then in 19th, you got Leganes on 23 points and Mallorca at 25. And then Celta Vigo at 26 and 17, one spot above Mallorca, one point above Mallorca who won their last game out. Celta Vigo had, drew has drawn their last two has drawn three of their last four games and won one so they need to start improving i know draws aren't losses at least they're getting some points in there but they're going to start want to start winning games they want to safely avoid the drop they got ibar on 27 then you got real Valladolid at 29 sitting in 15th place for the battles for the last europa league spot valencia sits seventh with 42 points villarreal and granada sit eighth and ninth on 39 points with atletico Athletic bilbao sitting in 10th with 37 points Athletic bilbao have struggled losing four of their last six games not great but they have won their last two so there's positive starts there for Athletic bilbao hopefully this restarted season can get them back to their normal best which is a very solid la liga team and they'll take on atletico Madrid come up coming up on Sunday and then we got Bundesliga action going on as well <sighs> love the Bundesliga Bundesliga and La Liga coming back Premier League next week le- next week we're going to talk about the MLS playoff draft thing in a little bit as well but we'll stick for the Bundesliga right now today we have Hoffenheim versus RB Leipzig that game will be a little bit later today then on Saturday we got Fortuna Dusseldorf taking on Borussia Dortmund Hurt Berlin taking on Eintracht Frankfurt Wolfsburg Taking on Freiburg, FC Köln taking on Union Berlin, Paderborn taking on Werder Bremen, a battle for the relegation teams, and Bayern Munich taking on Borussia Mönchengladbach, which is easily the game of the weekend. Then moving on to Sunday, we have Mainz taking on Augsburg, and Schalke taking on Bayer Leverkusen. Schalke have been in atrocious form recently. Losing four of their last six. And unlike Athletic Bilbao, who have won their last two, they have drawn the only other two games there. They are in deep doo-doo right now. They have a minus 12 goal differential. They have 38 points. They're dropping like a freaking rock so far. But that battle between Paderborn and Werder Bremen is huge for Paderborn because if Paderborn wins the game, they'll be only two points behind Werder Bremen on 25 points. If Paderborn wants to stay up, which right now it doesn't look like they stay up, but if they beat Werder Bremen, and if this was a regular home game, I would fully expect that this would be a win for Paderborn because their home crowd would be behind them 100%, but with there being no fans, and so far in the Bundesliga, with the fact that there's been no fans, the away team has won more times because there's not that threat or that sinking feeling, I guess, of entering a a home team's arena. Because there's no fans yelling at you. There's no intimidation factor there. Just an empty stadium. So the away teams haven't really been affected by this month. So it's going to be a harder game for Paderborn than what you would think because their fans aren't going to be there. But as far as the rest of the Bundesliga, Bayern Munich still sit top on 70. Borussia Dortmund second on 63. RB Leipzig third on 39. And Borussia Mönchengladbach hold the last Champions League spot with fifty-six with Bayer Leverkusen one point behind them, or one spot behind them, tied on points. Borussia monchengladbach currently sits above them on goal differential. And then Wolfsburg sits sixth with 45 points. Hoffenheim right behind them with 43, and then Freiburg right behind them with 41 points on the season. Game of the week, though, Borussia Mönchengladbach versus Bayern Munich. Battle of the first versus fourth place teams in the league. Bayern Munich have not lost in a very long time. They've scored 90 goals. They have a plus 60 goal differential. So it's going to be an uphill climb for Borussia Mönchengladbach, to say the least. But that uh, Hoffenheim game is going to be a big one as well versus RB Leipzig. Hoffenheim currently sits seventh league. RB Leipzig sits third in league. Hoffenheim again, 43 points on the season. RB Leipzig's 59 RB Leipzig are so trying to keep Borussia Dortmund in touching distance, trying to get that second-place spot from them. We will have to wait and see if that actually happens, though. It's exciting, though. It's always exciting. Bundesliga is one of the most exciting leagues in the world, even though the season's already over before it starts. The in-between stuff in the Bundesliga is always insane, and it's very, very fun to watch. So, with that being said, let's go over a league that's a little bit bit below (laughs) the Bundesliga and La Liga, that is the MLS. The MLS is back, and they had their playoff bracket draw yesterday. We talked about that on Wednesday, and now we are going to go after the official draw today. Reminder, in the East and West, they have three brackets. Let's start with the West first. The West has three brackets of four teams. In the East, there is two brackets of four teams and then one of six teams nashville came over from the western conference and is now playing in the eastern conference there's 14 teams in the east and only 12 in the west so here we go here's the bracket so far or not so far what they are for the mls in their comeback for the west in group b we have seattle sounders fc dallas vancouver whitecaps and san jose earthquakes so those are your teams right now we'll go over the uh the brackets so far and then we'll look at them more in-depthly on how each team will fare there group d we have uh real salt lake sporting kansas city rematch of mls cup colorado rapids and minnesota united two of sporting kansas city's bi- biggest rivals if not their biggest rivals rb like or i said rb like Le- say r rsl and minnesota united and then group f lafc versus la Galaxy, El Trafico, will be taking place in the playoffs and Houston Dynamo and the Portland Timbers. In regards to the standings for the East, the Western Conference, uh, Sporting Kansas City, Minnesota United, and Colorado Rapids are all the top three teams in the league and they got drawn together in Group D. The Real Salt Lake sits ninth with two points on the season for Group B. Seattle Sounders sit with four points along with FC Dallas, Vancouver Whitecaps, have three, and the San Jose Earthquakes have one. And for the last group, LAFC has four points on the season. The LA Galaxy only have one. Houston Dynamo have one as well, and then the Portland Timbers have three. Seems stupid that they have the three best teams in the Western Conference play each other in the playoffs, but that's beside the point, I guess. Because they needed to have, I don't i do not really know. Why did they do that? The three best teams in the Western Conference shouldn't have had to play each other in their first-round playoff matchups. Just my opinion. Just my opinion. But it will be exciting, nonetheless. Sporting Kansas City, most hated rivals, Minnesota United and RSL. Should be fun. Should be very fun. If I had to pick a winner right now out of these three leagues, and I know it's way too early in the season. We have played two games this season so far. So to go over the point tally is not really that big of a deal right now because Teams start off hot all the time. Always happens. And then a lot of teams fall off towards the end of the season. So if I'm picking a winner right now in the Western Conference on points right now, Seattle Sounders and FC Dallas are on top with four. But let's go with Seattle Sounders because of the fact their playoff experience, they've been to multiple MS Cups in in their recent history. I think they'll hold very valuable... To them entering this playoffs. So I don't think Vancouver and San Jose are really much threats in this. I think it's a two horse race, and I think Seattle Sanders come out on top. For Group D, I'm going to go Sporting Kansas City. They are the top team in the Western Conference right now, and this isn't biased or anything. Oh, well, it's a little biased, but they finally got their striking problem solved after trading Dom Dwyer to Orlando City. They finally replaced him with Alan Polito, and they look ready to. Destroy everything. Felipe Gutierrez, though, big loss for Sporting. Is out for the season. So that's not a great thing for Sporting. But the midfield depth that they have added this offseason, I think, will help ease the fact that he's out. I think Sporting Kansas City will take this side of the bracket. I think Minnesota United will be a threat, but I think Sporting, just as a whole, have the best roster in that group. And then the final one, Group F, I think LAFC take this one. They got Carlos Veya, the best player in the league. And that's really all I need to say. They got Kenneth Vermeer coming over from Feyenoord. So they finally got, or not finally, but they got some better goalkeeping help to help them get further in the playoffs. I think LAFC takes that group there. So my winners in the West, Seattle sporting and LAFC. This isn't what I think the playoffs is going to look like. This is just what I have right now. Okay. Cause I don't know the exact, how this thing's going to work out. Cause it's going to be very weird how this whole thing works out and as far as the eastern conference goes let's read through the groups here in group a orlando miami inter miami nyc fc philadelphia union chicago fire and the nashville team <laughs> i almost said a team like a team name Ashe, nashville sc sc then group c we have toronto fc new england revolution montreal impact and dc united then group e atlanta united fc cincinnati art red bull new york geez, new york red bulls and columbus crew here are the standings so far in those divisions for that first group in group a with orlando city my inter miami nashville and all these teams here's what we look at right now so far inter miami NYCFC, and nashville all have zero points on the season the philadelphia union have one point orlando city fc have one point on the season, Chicago Fire have one point. So a grand total of points out of these six teams is three points <laughs> out of all of those teams. By far the weakest group in all of the league out of these six groups, that is by far the worst one, and they have the most teams. They have the least amount of points that I can see right now out of everybody. They have two expansion teams, the recently expansion teams, and then they're just not a great group to be honest and then group C we have Toronto New England Montreal and DC United. Uh Montreal uh currently sits second in the league with four points with Toronto FC right there as well four points. Um DC United currently sit on three points and the New England Revolution have one point on the season. And then group E, Atlanta United, the only team in they what Eastern Conference with all six points. They're named two wins after two games. The best team in the Eastern Conference. You have FC Cincinnati, who currently sit... Uh, where are they at? Uh, on zero points. I don't know why I need to look around that far, but I should have known that. New York Red Bulls sit third in the league with four points, and then the Columbus Crew sit fifth with four points as well. Predicting a winner out of these groups, like the best team in each group, I think for... Let's start at the bottom because those the top ones is impossible to think of. But Group E, Atlanta United wins that one uh, pretty easily. I if I remember correctly, they were my Eastern Conference representative of for the MLS Cup. I can't remember if I it was I think I had between them and LAFC. LAFC but the loss of Joseph Martinez is going to be massive for Atlanta United in the playoffs. But I think they still got the talent to even though they lost one of the best players and probably the best striker in the league, they still have enough talent to have that not affect them as much. It's still a huge loss though. Nonetheless for group C Toronto FC for me, because Toronto again, much like Seattle over on the the Western conference have that playoff experience. They've been to multiple MLS cups. They've won an MLS cup in recent history. I think that will be very big for that team have a lot of experienced players like Michael Bradley and Josie Altador, among others, that could ease them into this. For, for the Montreal Impact, Thierry Reason is first year as head coach. They don't have a ton of experienced players, so I think that's going to ride a little bit, and maybe Toronto FC will use that experience to their advantage. Now Group A, <laughs> the weirdest group out of all the playoffs, three points between six teams. Ender Miami, Nashville, and NYCFC all have zero points on the season. Then you have Orlando City, Philadelphia, and Chicago on one point. For the winner of this one, i it's hard to predict. Because even like looking at this, looking at it, I would probably, if I didn't know the standings, I would say NYCFC. NYCFC, so far this season, have not scored a single goal. Again, that's only through two games. But they are the only team in the league that has done so. Maybe that'll be a little bit of a, a mystery pick, I guess. Let's go with NYCFC. They haven't scored a single goal all season. I think they'll be the best team in group A. And then once we get the whole seedings done, then we'll know exactly what we are looking at right now. But that's what I'm feeling at this point in time for the MLS. And yeah, I'm excited. Very fun time in the MLS. Got this new playoff format that we're going to Duke, obviously because of the shortened season. And it's just fun. It's just a very fun time. I think Sporting Kansas City, and I'm being 100% biased on this, have a really good chance to go to MLS Cup. Now, it's not like the Eastern Conference. If they were in the Eastern Conference, like they were in the past, this would be a lot easier because there's not a lot of great teams in the Eastern Conference. you got a weekend at Atlanta United, and they are still the best team in the Eastern Conference. They have one of the best players in the league, probably the second best player in the league, and Joseph Martinez out and they're still the best team in the league, or in the Eastern Conference. Sporting KC has scored seven goals this season and have allowed one. They are the best goal differential in the entire league with plus six, with Atlanta, with Minnesota United States right behind them with five. I think Sporting are primed to make a good playoff run. I think LAFC, obviously with Carlos Veya there, the best player in the league, he will be huge for LAFC's player, playoff run. And Kenneth Vermeer, Getting him this offseason was very big as well. It's just going to be fun. It's going to be very fun. I'm very excited to see how this works out because I'm intrigued. I don't really know what's going to happen here, but I am intrigued nonetheless. So those are your scores around the world of soccer and what's going on around the world of soccer. Let's look at baseball. The KBO have a lot of scores to go over in the KBO. Going back to yesterday, the LG Twins beat SK 3-1. They've been in a weird funk. The LG Twins finally getting back on the winning track. NC beat the Dusan Bears seven to five. Samsung Lions beat Kiwoom six to three. LG beat sk four to three. Reminder, their game was postponed on Wednesday, so they played the doubleheader yesterday. And then Kia beat losing KT thirteen to eight. And then Lotte beating Hanwha five to zero. Let's look at that NC versus Deuce on the battle of the two best teams in the league. Uh, didn't really start get off to him flying start it was one to one after the third inning and two to one after the fourth in favor of NC and then they started rallying off the run they got three runs in the fifth two in the sixth and then it was pretty much over at that Doosan tried to get a late run in the eighth getting three runs scored in the eighth but that was pretty much it 14 hits in the game for the NC Dinos only 11 for the Doosan Bears in this game for the Doosan Bears batting wise Jung Sin Bin had uh, three RBIs off one hit and four at bats in this game for the NC Dinos, Lee Myung Ki had three hits and three RBIs in this game. Kang Jin Sung, three hits, two RBIs for him, and it's always fun looking at the pitching stats from the KBO because they're all they're they're all over the place. But this one for NC, they had a nice little game as a as a whole, as the bullpen and the starters as a whole. Mike Wright, six hits given up in five innings, two in runs, two walks, four strikeouts. That is a very good stat line for <laughs> the KBO. Then Beje Huan came in in the sixth inning, three strikeouts. Pitched one inning, three strikeouts. Craziness. Good stuff there by Beje Huan, getting the win for the NC Dinos. Nice little victory there for the Dinos over second-best team in the league there. Then we had games today. KT vs Samsung was postponed. Doosan bounced back, beat Hanwa 5-2. Kiwoom upset NC 3-2. to two. Kia beat SK six to three, and then LG beat Lote three to two. Let's look at that Doosan Bears versus Hanwha game. It was never really close. That Hanwha didn't score their two runs until the last inning of the game. Hanwha, the worst team in the league, seven and twenty-seven on the season. Just uh, yeah, not a great performance from Hanwha in this game. Ji Wan Jun had seven strikeouts in five innings pitched in the game. Very impressive performance from him in a five-two victory. For the do on bears for the nc dinos losing a key womb key womb 19 and 15 now on the season got off to an early lead one one nothing after the first inning then it was two nothing after the seven top of the seventh nc brought it back and then the 10th inning key womb gets a run to get the win over the best team in the league and it's kind of crazy the thing about this nc had eight hits key womb had four and key womb made their hits Count and got the win in the game over the NC Dinos. Tomorrow's action we got KT versus Samsung, Kiwoom versus NC, Doosan versus Hanwa, Kia versus SK, Lope versus LG, and KT versus Samsung. uh The first game, KT versus Samsung, which the two games of those tomorrow because the first the game was postponed today. The first one will be at midnight, the other one will be played at 3 30, and all the rest of the games will be at 3 o'clock. And then we got the same games going on on Sunday. All of those games will start at 3. And then, of course, Monday's off, and then they're back again on Tuesday. Currently, the standings right now in the KBO. The NC Dinos still sit top with 25-8 record. LG has passed the Doosan Bears. They're t- actually tied on record, but have jumped them in the standings. Both teams are 21-12. Kiwum, 19-15. Kia, 18-16. Loach, 17-16. Samsung, 15-18. KT 12 and 20, SK 11 and 22, and Hanua 7 and 27 on the season. Man. KBO exciting. Who doesn't love the KBO? Bundesliga, La Liga, MLS, and the KBO. Everybody's favorite leagues from across the world are back. Premier League's back next week, though, so I'm very, very hyped for the Premier League's return. That is going to be freaking sweet. I cannot wait for the Premier League return. So with that being said, let's take another quick break here on the Logan Blackman show. We will come back. We got some college football to talk about. I got another segment here and then I got top five dumbest in Chicago Bears history. All of that coming up right after this. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It is Logan Blackman here, host of the Logan Blackman Show here on this June 12th edition of the Logan Blackman Show. And before we get on to talking about college football, I didn't realize this, but I guess Copa Italia, it's kind of like the FA Cup for England, for those of you who don't know, is taking place tomorrow, or today, I, I didn't even realize that. I was just going over league stuff and then I was on Twitter. I was like, oh crap, this is coming back. So we got Juventus versus AC Milan and Napoli versus Inter. Two very exciting games. Four of the biggest clubs in Italy taking on each other. Juventus versus AC Milan will be on today, so make sure you stay tuned for that. And the last times these guys have played each other, Juventus has won five out of the last six. And the only one in there that hasn't been a Juventus win was a draw the last time these two teams played one-to-one at the San Siro in Milan the rest of them have been Juventus wins some as big as four nil in those games so if it's a if there's a pattern here we should expect another Juventus win and AC Milan th- three people out on red cards one injured Zlatan, Tio Hernandez, and Samuel Casalejo are three of AC Milan's top players especially Theo Hernandez who has been one of their best goal scorers this year for the Milan side he might actually be their best their top goal scorer now that I'm thinking about it ah, he's second on the team in scoring he has five goals top is Antti Rebic who has six goals but Theo Hernandez huge part of AC Milan's attack and he is a huge loss to them especially with Zlatan out as well it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a very uphill battle for AC Milan, especially with Juventus having no key players out. Ronaldo, Dybala will all be there for this game. Douglas Costa, Delic, Manucci, Quadrado, Buffon, Sandra, like all those guys, they'll be back. They will be back. And though they're a little older with this team that they have, but AC Milan, it's going it, it, it to be tough for the Milan side to get a dub here in this game. So yeah, make sure you stay tuned for whenever that game takes place. It should be a fun one. So last night, when I was writing the little bullet points for the show, because I was like, I'm gonna get up early so I'm so I can do the show and do it in time, so I have time to get ready for my friend's wedding. So I did this. I typed up my bullet points last night. So I thought it'd be fun today, since it's Friday. There was really, there's really no form to these Friday things. Well, actually, I take that back. It's probably the most form we have in a show is on friday because we do the friday fun day thing and then the top five dumbest every other week and then that it just goes on and on and on but this week i thought it'd be fun to rank the top five quarterbacks in each power five conference now i could go through and list all the best quarterbacks from each conference but that's it's gonna take too long i do have a list of the best quarterbacks from each conference now i say that but top five is a different thing so like the AAC uh the CUSA the MAC Mountain West Sunbelt those would be conferences that would be kind of hard to figure out who the top five quarterbacks are I can tell you the best are but top five that's a little different it's a little different story so let's start with the ACC we got a few good teams in the ACC Clemson being the creme de la creme in the ACC you have North Carolina vastly improved. Miami's going to be improved next year. Virginia's going to be a little worse, so a lot of people would expect, with the loss of Bryce Perkins. But ACC might be a little tougher this year for Clemson. And there's a lot of good quarterbacks here. So obviously, you already know that um, Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback in the ACC by a wide margin. Uh, Trevor Lawrence won a national championship game, has lost one game as a starter at Clemson, and has put up great numbers in his time at Clemson he's a winner and they will continue to win going into this year number two obviously Sam Howell there's a big or not a huge gap between second and third but there's a decent size gap between second and third just based off who how number three did last season but Sam Howell as a freshman was a godsend for the North Carolina Tar Heels in regards to the points scored they scored 430 points in all games this year which ranks second in the ACC Coastal in total points scored 430 right behind Virginia who has lost their starting quarterback this year So you would expect them to go down in regards to the rest of the ACC that's tied for third with Louisville who finished eight and five on the season North Carolina finished seven and six in regards to just ACC play they rank third in the coastal with four, 246 points scored this season We expect that number to go up as they're returning pretty much every single weapon from the season before for Sam Howell Sam Howell is an absolute beast and North Carolina will be the winners of the coastal. And I'm very confident in saying that we said that a few weeks ago. And now it seems like everybody's jumped on the bandwagon. So they must all be listening to the Logan Blackman show. Number three. Uh, I think there's a big gap between three and four, but Derek King for Miami, Derek King has a a lot of records of rushing and passing touchdowns. I think he broke Tim Tebow's record of passing and rushing touchdowns and games. I think like, 26 games in a row or something that. That might be wrong. That might be wrong cuz that feels wrong, but it's something crazy like that. But his junior year, he had a great season. 36 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. And his first full season as a starter for the Houston Houston Cougars. Then going into his senior season at Houston, Houston sucked. Just to put it lightly, or just even if you want to call it lightly, Houston was just terrible. So Derek King left. He played four games and then dipped out. After they lost to Tulane, he was like, I'm done. I'm done. He just straight up left. And he said, I'm not transferring him. But if you redshirt, you're not redshirting to come back. That's not how that usually works. So when he said, I'm redshirting and staying, I was like, that doesn't doesn't make any sense. That's not happening. And then he announced his transfer to Miami. 36 touchdowns, six interceptions in one season. Complete 63% of your passes is a very good very very good season that's just his passing numbers rushing wise he had 674 yards and 14 touchdowns so he had 36 passing 14 rushing 50 total touchdowns in one season that is insane and then looking at 2019 he had decent numbers completion percentage dropped like a Rogan's worst completion percentage of his career six touchdowns two interceptions though on the season also had 312 rushing yards and six rushing touchdowns through four games so 12 touchdowns through four games of a season on a very bad Houston team he he did good stuff those complete again those percentage was down he didn't play his best football during that time and Houston fell to four and eight on the season two and six in conference play right above or basically tied with Houston in the conference standings on the west side I expect Miami to be right up there with North Carolina. I don't think they'll pass North Carolina for the ACC Coastal crown, but I think they'll finish second. I think they can easily finish 8-4, and four, if not better than that. They finished 6-7 and seven last year, finished third in the ACC Coastal last year, and now with an actual quarterback, they the expectations should be a lot higher. They had three quarterbacks last year, and they could never decide between the one. They had Jaron Williams as a starter, and then N'Kozy Perry always came in at some point, and then Tate Martell was always there as well. Now you got Derek King. He is your quarterback. There's nobody replacing Derek King or anyone near as talented as Derek King on the Miami roster. So he will be, he's a godsend for the Miami Hurricanes, to say the least. He just is. And number four on this list, again, there's a big gap between three and four. I think number four is Mikel Cunningham for Louisville I think he is one of the most talented quarterbacks in the ACC which is why I have him ranked at number four obviously but Cunningham as the quarterback for Louisville threw for 2,000 yards 22 touchdowns and only five picks on the season he wasn't even the full-time starter this season he had 482 rushing yards with six rushing touchdowns as well got Louisville to an eight and five season 22 touchdowns five interceptions is big And then the bowl game beat Mississippi state 38 to 28. Two passing touchdowns in the game for him in his last five games. Dude passed for, let's do the quick math here. 10 14 touchdowns and three interceptions in his last five games of the season, throwing nine touchdowns and only one interception against Syracuse and NC state losing to Kentucky. But Kentucky at this point in the season was impossible to play against. Kentucky was insane. They switched up their offense to where Lynn Bowden was just running rampant on teams. They were an insane rushing team. Lynn Bowden ran for 284 yards in this game and four touchdowns. Once they switched the offense to making Lynn Bowden the quarterback, they were, it was over. It was over for everybody. Lynn Bowden finished the season with 1,400 rushing yards and 13 rushing touchdowns. They were an insane team last year when he moved to quarterback. Insane team. Lynn Bowden is one of my favorite college players I've seen in a while. Your starting quarterback is also your leading wide receiver and your leading rusher. That's crazy. He led Kentucky in receiving yards with 380, 348 yards. And he's your starting quarterback, and he's your best running back. So when Louisville played him, I'm not going to put a lot on Cunningham there, they were, Louisville, was, or Kentucky was just an insane team to play at that point in time. And they took care of Virginia Tech. In the bowl game as well, Kentucky on the season finished eight and five. They were an insane rushing attack. They won their last four games. They went six and two at home. Like they were, it was hard to beat Kentucky when they were on. So that's why Mikel Cunningham with the twenty-two touchdowns, five picks. I have him at number four. And then I struggled with number five on this list. I really struggled with number five to be honest. But I ended up going with Chase Bryce, quarterback for Duke. I know Chase Bryce has been. The backup quarterback for Trevor Lawrence for the past two seasons. Okay, I get that. I'm not an idiot. I know what's happened. I know he hasn't really had the opportunities to shine while being the starting quarterback for for Clemson, but he's he's taken advantage of his opportunities. And it's been very cool to see that. So I've I think Chase, out of all the backup quarterbacks in college football. I'm glad he's getting his chance to finally start. Cause I think he was the best backup quarterback in college football. He took advantage of the opportunities he came in and showed and shined every single time he went in on the field. And you could tell when he went in, he was like calling audibles to run deep routes and everything like that. He's a very good quarterback. And I think he can vastly improve Duke's offense. I think he can Duke struggled last year on every facet of the ball and i think with him there i think they can be a much improved team they finished five and seven they scored 207 points which was the second worst total in the acc coastal scored 303 points total on the season which is the third worst in the entire conference Right, fourth worst i guess pittsburgh's right there too but i think bryce can be right up there as well so he is number five so my top five Regis, trevor lawrence sam howell the eric king michael cunningham and chase bryce with two transfers in there very impressive stuff big 12 i think there's a battle for the number one spot and i think it's very close between two guys spent um sam ellinger is the best in my opinion he has improved every single year in his time at texas and we did this uh last or a couple weeks ago we ranked the top 10 quarterbacks in college football he's improved on every number every year in college He's been a very, very good quarterback for the Texas Longhorns. I know he can be a little cringy at times. We talked about that the other day as well, whenever we did the list of top 10 quarterbacks. But every single year, he has improved. If you look at his completion percentage, it's gone up. Yards gone up. His average per attempt has gone up. His touchdowns have gone up. It's all passing. His rushing wise touchdowns went down, but you can't really expect to score 16 rushing touchdowns again. And he did it, he ran one less attempt than his sophomore year, but had basically 200 more rushing yards, average more per attempt as well. Sam Ellinger every single year at Texas has gotten better. And I just think that I don't know if Texas has the people that can help him out, but he is a very, very good quarterback. Uh, The next one is Brock Purdy of Iowa State. He finished fifth in the nation passing yards last year. And a reminder, when we did this list a few days ago, I had Brockett right behind Sam Linger because if you look at his stats, other than yards and touchdowns, he's actually gotten worse in every category. His completion percentage went down. His average yards per attempt went down. His interceptions went up. His quarterback rating went down. His rushing yards went down. But his rushing touchdowns went up. But Brock Purdy is still one of the best quarterbacks in the Big 12. And... That's just one way of looking at it. When you're ranking it individual to individual, you can look at stuff like that. But I think Brock Purdy, even though he, in some regards, did get worse, is still a very good quarterback. Fifth Nation passing yards, it's not very easy to do. And he did that at Iowa State, where the past few years, they've been a very big running team. And he did a very good job at it last year. Number three uh, is Charlie Brewer for Baylor. 3,000 yards passing last year, 21 touchdowns on the season, played 64% of his passes. This season, I'm expecting a drop-off. I'm expecting a drop-off because he lost his head coach. He lost his number one wide receiver. I'm not expecting massive things for Charlie Brewer going into this season. That's just my my opinion on the matter. That's just what I'm thinking. In the Big 12 championship game, uh, he didn't play great. He got hurt didn't play that much in the game and I struggled between him and the guy at number four just because of the fact that number four hasn't played a single snap in college yet of any meaningful playing time and that is Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler is according to a lot of people the most talented quarterback that Lincoln Riley has ever had. He's the first non-transfer quarterback Lincoln Riley's had I think in his entire career there at at Oklahoma with Baker Mayfield transferring Kyler Murray transferring, Jalen Hurts transferring. Now you got Spencer Rattler, who's a purebred Oklahoma Sooner with all the talent in the world, according to everybody around him. And if he is the most talented quarterback Oklahoma's had or that Lincoln Riley's had, then I'm expecting massive things from this guy. And keeping in the state of Oklahoma, we're going with Spencer Sanders to round out this top five. Spencer Sanders statistically didn't do anything that wowed anybody last year. He did some good things, though. He had 628 rushing yards. He had 2,000 passing yards, 16 touchdowns, but 11 interceptions, which isn't great. But according to everybody, he's expected to have a massive jump in production this year. He was a true freshman last year and didn't play terrible, didn't play great at times, but the 628 rushing yards is a very good number for your quarterback, especially with Chubba Hubbard rushing for 2,000 yards and 21 touchdowns on the season last year. So they're not a very big passing team. But he will get his numbers up this year, you would expect. His number one receiver, Tylen Wallace, will be coming back next year. 903 receiving yards for him with eight touchdowns to his name. Dylan Stoner also coming back as well. 599 yards, a second leading receiver on the team. So you would expect his numbers to go up next year. Because he had a decent season for a pretty average Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State tie with a very good running back, which is typical of Oklahoma State's history. You got Thurman Thomas, Barry Sanders, Kendall Hunter to a certain extent. Now you got Chubba Hubbard there. So will uh Spencer Sanders elevate his game next year? One would assume so, but only time will tell. So if I'm doing this top five again, I'm going Sam Ellinger one, Brock Purdy two. And it's a battle between number three for those four or those three, uh, between Brewer, Sanders, and Rattler. Rattler hasn't played. Brewer got hurt, and Sanders was a true freshman. So I might go Sanders, Brewer, Rattler, just because of the fact Rattler hasn't played, and I'm expecting big things out of Spencer Sanders going into this season. But as well as a lot of people are returning a lot of his weapons. And a good running game always takes a ton of pressure off a young quarterback. So that will be huge for his second year as a full-time starter at Oklahoma State. For the Big Ten, there's no surprises here. There's no prizes for guessing who's number one on this list. That is Justin Fields of Ohio State. Number one, undoubtedly, he's the second-best quarterback in college football. He threw three interceptions last year with 41 touchdowns. Number one rushing attack in the nation or one of, out of the, like, the triple option schools in Kentucky. I mean, he's up, they're up there, Ohio State was. They went to the freaking college football playoff. They went undefeated last year. They scored 436 points in the Big Ten, which is by far the most in the conference. In total, they scored 656 points, which, again, by far the most in the conference, and only allowed 192 points throughout the entire season, which, again, is miles above everybody else in the conference, miles below everybody else in the conference. Ohio State has an amazing team. Justin Fields is an amazing quarterback. And he's easily number one on this list. Going to number two, though, you can start having some battles. But I think number two on this list is Tanner Morgan from Minnesota. Tanner Morgan and Minnesota surprised... I guess you could call it surprised because a lot of people expected Minnesota to be good last year. I don't know if anybody expected them to be as good as what they were, but they were very, very good. Tanner Morgan last year... 3,200 passing yards, 30 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, completed 66% of his passes, and his number 2 receiver, Rashad Bateman, is coming back this year. That's huge. That is very huge. Bateman, one of the best wide receivers in college football, getting thrown to by one of the most underrated quarterbacks in college football, and I think he's easily the second best quarterback in the Big Ten. Going on to the next one, number 3, this is where you get a little bit more of a, testy waters here but i am going to go with penn State's sean clifford for this number three spot on the list sean clifford 2600 yards last year 23 touchdowns seven picks also rushed for 402 yards with five touchdowns to his name i mean not world beating numbers no trace mcswirly numbers but good numbers nonetheless first year the full-time starter at penn state they went to the cotton bowl Beat Memphis, a good Memphis team nonetheless. And yeah, he struggled towards the end of the year. He struggled against some of the better teams through three interceptions against Minnesota last year, which is not great. Three of his seven interceptions came against Minnesota. Not fantastic. Didn't have a great game against Iowa. Played good enough, though. Didn't have a great game against Ohio State either. So against the better teams, he kind of struggled a little bit, but. Based off of everything else in the Big Ten, I think he is the third best quarterback in the conference. I think there's a gap between first and second. I think there's a big gap between second and third. And then the rest of them are kind of pretty much close. Number four on this list, I'm going to put Jack Cohn from Wisconsin. I might be saying his name wrong, but it's just typical Wisconsin. Great rushing attack with an average quarterback and the average quarterback just doesn't have to do really anything. But he is good nonetheless. 2,700 yards passing, 18 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, with basically a 70% completion percentage. That's very good numbers. Those are, those are very, very nice numbers. And Wisconsin, throughout their history, with the Joel Stavies, the Scott Tolzines, they're just known for having average quarterbacks. But their rushing attacks are always great. With Jonathan Taylor, 2,000 yards last year, 21 rushing touchdowns you expect the same thing to happen this year even though jonathan Taylor's leaving they still have a conveyor belt of running backs coming out every single year we said this last week got pj hill monte bald melvin gordon uh jonathan taylor james white like you got so many running backs that you can name from wisconsin ron dane started it all pretty much jack cone i think is one of those quarterbacks like a Joel Stavi or a Scott Tolzien, but I think he might be better than those two quarterbacks. Those two are just the definition of average quarterbacks. I think he's slightly above average. And that's why I have him at number four on this list. I struggled between him and Clifford for number four and number three on this list. But I think I ended up making the correct decision on this mark. We'll see what he does without Jonathan Taylor going into this season. And then the last quarterback on this list um just based off pure talent wise I think I mean I don't know this last one was hard because if you want to go off talent I think Adrian Martinez should be mentioned up there but he sucked last year that's the problem with Taylor Martinez Michigan doesn't have a starting quarterback Peyton Ramsey uh Indiana's quarterback transferred to Northwestern who sucked last year Purdue didn't have a consistent starting quarterback. Illinois didn't have a consistent starting quarterback. Rutgers sucks. They're not going anywhere. Will Tua's brothers start for Maryland? I don't know. In Iowa, their quarterback has barely played in Spencer Petras. So who do we go for this last one? That's why it's kind of hard not to say Adrian Martinez, even though he was atrocious last year. He threw 10 touchdowns and 9 interceptions for Nebraska as they finished 5-7 on the season. Indiana... Finished five eight and eight and five last year, and Peyton Ramsey transferred from Indiana. Peyton Ramsey last year twenty four hundred yards passing, thirteen touchdowns, five interceptions for the Indiana Hoosiers. So do we put Peyton Ramsey at number five on this list, or who do we throw at number five? Dylan McCaffrey. I don't really know who to throw at number five on the Big Ten. I think one two three and four are easy. Maybe not the order, but. I think that's pretty easy, but the rest of it, it's just, I don't know. Maybe we could throw Spencer Petrus in there. Expectations are pretty high. I think off talent, though, Adrian Martinez has to be mentioned up there, by I might just throw Peyton Ramsey at number five. There's not a lot of great quarterbacks in the Big Ten outside, or not, maybe not, I shouldn't say that, maybe just inexperienced quarterbacks. There's a lot of inexperienced quarterbacks in the Big Ten outside of the top four. So that's where it gets kind of hard of saying who's the number five quarterback in the Big Ten. So we're not even going to list the number five quarterback (laughs) because I don't really, I struggled with this last night and I still can't think of who it could be. So we got Justin Fields, Tanner Morgan, Sean Clifford, and Jack Cohn as the top four. Five is up to your interpretation, whoever you think is the fifth best quarterback in the Big Ten. It's hard to rank people that haven't played yet over people that have played. So that's why, like, you want to think of Peyton Ramsey up there, but Spencer Petras could be up there, Del McCaffrey. But again, they haven't made any significant, they haven't played significant time in the Big Ten, so it's hard to put those guys up there. But they're, I don't know, Big Ten's hard for that, <laughs> hard place to rank my quarterbacks. Uh, the Pac-12 is the next one on this list. This one was pretty easy actually. Pac-12 and the SEC, I think, were the two easiest ones here. So I didn't have to think about whoever went where. I think number one is Keaton Slovis. I think number two is Jaden Daniels for Arizona State. I think number three is Dorian Thompson-Robinson. I think four is Davis Mills of Stanford. And number five is Chase Garbers from Cal. I think Keaton Slovis and Jaden Daniels speak for themselves. Jaden Daniels, true freshman last year for Arizona State. I think he has all the talent in the world. Arizona State, though, at times, he his inexperience showed. And I think that will only grow with time. Kean Slovis went berserk last year after getting the starting job from JT Daniels berserk he had insane numbers in his first year starting for USC and I think I expect that to be the same there but I think those are easily number one and two I struggle with with the placement of the next three but I think those three are the next best in the conference uh Dorian Thomas Robinson let's start with him so last season 2700 yards 21 touchdowns 12 interceptions not great numbers but if you look at what he's dealing with at UCLA, he was in a very dark time in their history, he's done very well for the time being. They won four games this last season, but all four of them came in Pac-12 play. And he had that amazing game against number 19 Washington State at Washington State, where he threw five touchdown passes and threw for 507 yards. This is a week after coming off an embarrassing 48-14 to loss to Oklahoma, and then you go into a number 19 team in the country with their high-powered offense, and you're losing, to say the least, you're losing at halftime 35-17. to There's no real point that goes like, oh yeah, they can definitely come back and win this game. I don't think anybody thought that. I don't think any UCLA fan thought that they were going to come back after halftime. I don't think that was the goal in mind. At one point in the game, going into the third quarter, it was 49-17. to in favor of Washington State, 49-17. to 17. Then UCLA clawed back and won the game 67-63. to 63. That is insane. And Dorian Thompson Robinson was a big reason for that. Five passing touchdowns in the game for the true sophomore quarterback. He's had two head coaches in his time there, I believe. And I think Chip Kelly was in his – was this Chip Kelly's first year or was this his second year? Either way, I think Dorian Thompson-Robinson has talent. I just think that UCLA just needs to get some help. I think he's very talented. But time will tell if he can – let's see how he does this year. He played very nice in that game, like one of the greatest games last season. Or maybe the greatest game last season, Washington State versus UCLA. I expect him to get up and get better this season. He's improved each year. Let's see what he does this year. Uh, Davis Mills for Stanford. Uh, according to Davis Mills, he is the best quarterback in what recruiting class? Is this 2017 recruiting class? Let's read some of the quarterbacks on this list. So, Hunter Johnson went, went to Clemson, went to Northwestern, failed pretty much. Okay, you're better than him. I'll give you that. Then you keep scrolling down on the ESPN top 100 list. Then you have of viola fifth overall pick in the draft, national champion. Heisman. Finalist is last two years of college. Are you better than him? No. Kellen Mond of Texas A&M. Are you better than him? Uh, no. And it's crazy to think about this. Those three, Kellen Mond, Tua Tagovailoa, and Davis Mills, were rated the exact same coming out of high school, 85 according to ESPN. Now you scroll a little bit down, a little bit farther with more quarterbacks. You see Sean Clifford, who we talked about with the Big Ten, nicozai Perry of uh, Miami. He's in there as well. You're better than him, I'll give you that. Miles Brennan, LSU starting quarterback going into this season, is in that recruiting class as well. So you got a lot of decent quarterbacks in here. Dylan McCaffrey's there. Sam Ellinger's there. You got some good quarterbacks all around this list. Jake Fromm is also in this list. Tommy DeVito, starting quarterback for Syracuse, in this list. Like, there's some decent quarterbacks in and around this list chase garbers who we'll talk about in a little bit is also in this recruiting class like you look at all this stuff going around in these quarterbacks is davis mills the best quarterback in that class no i don't think he is i think there's a lot of quarterbacks that are better than him in that class he just he took the starting job from kj costello who was the starter there for a few years kj is now transferred to mississippi state to play with mike leach I think it's the perfect quarterback for Mike Leach. Davis Mills last year, in his first season of really any action, 1,900 yards, 11 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, while completing 65% of his passes. Davis Mills showed very good flashes at times last year, but struggled at other times. So you look at two of the last three games, he threw two intercep- four interceptions between Washington State and Cal, losing efforts. And then against Notre Dame, he threw two touchdowns in a losing effort. Didn't throw any picks, though. They beat number 15, Washington. They beat Oregon State. Is Davis Mills better than Chase Garbers, though? This is where I have to question this a little bit. I don't really know if Chase Garbers or uh, Davis Mills are better. Because if you look at what uh, Davis Mills did, now 1,900 yards is good. And let's go with what Chase Garbers was doing last season at Cal. With Cal, they were one of the, I don't know if you want to call them a surprise team, 8 and 5 they were around, in and around the top 25 pretty much the entire season. They were rotating quarterbacks, it felt like, the entire year. But Chase Garbers was the one that felt the best out of all of them. Chase Garbers, 1,700 yards, 14 touchdowns, three picks, led the Bears in passing yards. I mean, the Golden Bears, whatever you want to call them. And if you look at this, this is what I found that was very interesting. Chase Garbers started and finished seven games last season, and Cal went 7-0 in those games. It went 1-5 in the others. There's an athletic element to his game and toughness that Cal really relies on in those health, seven healthy games. He averaged 265 yards of offense per game. That would have been good for fourth in the conference. Let's hope he can see we can see a full slate of action from him. So he has talent. He was just hurt a lot last year. If he can stay healthy, I think I would rate him above Davis Mills. So I might move him up against Davis Mills. It's very close between those two. Davis Mills... Where's those stupid long sleeves though actually no contest the long sleeves of the quarterbacks of those people wear makes you 10 times less athletic than what you already are the long sleeves on the jerseys are just stupid you put yourself in fifth place davis behind chase garbers because those times seven games he played they went seven and oh one in five in other games it's very impressive stuff there so i think we had to put him up one mark so there's our top five in the pac 12 keaton slovis jaden daniels dorian thompson robinson chase garbers and davis mills i might even move chase garbers above dorian thompson but that game against washington state was a very nice one for dorian thompson robinson and for the sec we don't have tua we don't have joe burrow we don't have jake Fromm, we don't have Jalen hurts we lost a lot of good quarterbacks in the big in the sec over the past few years we don't have lynn bowden and Matty Mock, <laughs> we have Johnny Manziel, Gerard Thompson, Johnson's not there anymore, Bo Wallace, <laughs> Bo Levi Wallace. So let's look at the, the SEC. This one is a little interesting. So number one, I think it's Kyle Trask of Florida, who came in as the backup quarterback to Felipe Franks, Took the starting job. Florida went 11-2 on the season. The expectations are extremely high for the Florida Gators going into this season. 432 points scored outside of Bama and LSU. That is the joint most in the SEC tied with Auburn. Florida, there's a, a lot expected for the Florida Gators this year. A lot. They're returning a good amount of their players from last year. Lost C.J. Henderson, but and but they're going to be good. Florida's going to be right up there with the best in the SEC and he's, I just have him just above, just above Jamie Newman of Georgia. If you remember, Jamie Newman transferred from Wake Forest. Wake Forest went 8-5 and five last year. He was a good quarterback for him. I don't know if he was a world beater at Wake Forest. But I think he's a good quarterback nonetheless. Through 2,800 yards, 26 touchdowns, 11 picks. Will he be an upgrade on what Jake Fromm was last year for the Georgia Bulldogs? There were times Jake Fromm and the offense looked dead in the water. Their defense looked great as always for Georgia. Defense always looks good for Georgia. They allowed 84 points last year in the SEC. By far the least. 84 points. And Jamie Newman on offense, they could, should expect them to improve on those numbers. They got some good quarterbacks coming into Georgia. You got Jamie Newman, JT Daniels there, and they got a couple really good freshmen and high school quarterbacks coming in as well. But I have him just behind Kyle Trask. So if you look at the stat, I I would take Trask over Jamie Newman for the college quarterback there. Now we get a little bit of a of tougher waters here. Number three, I'm going to go with Auburn's Bo Nix. I think Bo Nix is a very, very talented quarterback. Still very young, didn't complete a high percentage of his passes last year, but threw 2,500 yards, 16 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. And Auburn had a decent season last year. He's a lifelong Auburn fan. And he's played he played well at times last season. Now, in the last part of the season, in his last five games, he threw four touchdowns, one in each of the last five games. Minus the one against Ole Miss. But the game against Oregon at the start of the season, where he mounted the comeback, he didn't complete a high percent of his passes there, completed forty-two percent of his passes. But I think that'll improve in time. I think he'll improve as the years go on. And I think that's why I have him at number three. I'm betting on his potential more on more or less on the stuff that he did as a whole last year because I think the number four quarterback on this list would be a feel a little bit of hard done by by the fact that he is ranked below a guy that can 57% of his passes and that is Kellen Mond of Texas A&M Mond threw 2,800 yards last year 20 touchdowns 9 picks rushed for 500 yards 8 rushing touchdowns there So you might want to say you rotate those two of Kellen Mond going to number three, Bo Nix at number four. I think it's interchangeable. I'm very much going with Bo Nix's potential on this one because I think his potential is insane. But if we're just talking about skill level right now and what they did last year and what they've done in college so far, I think you might have to take Kellen Mond over the young quarterback for Texas A&M. But it's a very very close one now for fifth place you have this last spot so Lynn Bowden's gone uh Bentley from South Carolina is gone he's now the quarterback for Utah so who do you rank as number five Felipe Franks now transferred to Arkansas do you put him in the top five KJ Costello transferred from uh, Stanford to Mississippi State will he be in the top five you got all these questions around these guys but for this number five spot I did actually go with KJ Costello the former Stanford Cardinal quarterback. I know he didn't have a great season last year and lost the starting job eventually to Davis Mills, but he has had some good times for Stanford, and I think he's going to be a very nice quarterback for Mike Leach at Mississippi State. Look at his stats his last, the season before last. He threw 29 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, completed 65% of his passes, had 3,500 passing yards. His freshman season... He had 1,500 yards passing, 14 touchdowns, and four picks. And then last year, I believe he battled injuries and then just eventually lost his starting job. He threw six touchdowns and three picks. I think talent-wise, I think he's a very good quarterback. I think he will fit Mike Leach's offense perfectly. And I think he is the the fifth-best quarterback in the SEC, even though it is a tough race in that fifth-place spot for the best quarterback in the SEC. So before we get into our last talking point, I want to take a quick break because I got to get a couple drinks of water here. My mouth is extremely dry. So I'm going to take a a 15 second break and then we'll come back and go over the top five dumbest things the Chicago Bears have ever done throughout their history. Stay tuned for that. All right, everybody. I'm back from my little escapade of getting a drink and moistening my mouth, I I guess you could say. But we are back and we got about just about 20 minutes left in today's show. So let's get after. We got the top five dumbest things the Chicago Bears have ever done. Now I've got a few things for number five. Five is a, I got, there. there's two of them. Okay. One of them is a little more serious. The other one's not really that serious, I guess. So one of the number five spots is not handing the ball off to Walter Payton in the Super Bowl. Walter Payton was the main cog in that Bears offense, the 85 Bears. The 85 Bears are arguably the greatest defensive team of all time. You can throw in the 2000 Ravens in there as well as one of the greatest defensive teams of all time, but most people believe the 85 Bears are the greatest defensive team of all time. Offensively, they were a little lax at times. Their quarterback play with Jim McMahon, a legendary quarterback in Chicago Bears fandom, but... As far as a player, he was just an average quarterback. Then you don't you don't really have a lot of people outside. I think Willie Galt was on the outside with the Chicago Bears. But the, other than their offense wasn't great. Their defense carried them to that 15-1 season and the Super Bowl. And Walter Payton was the main reason that offense was even semi-relevant and why the Bears could do what they did. Walter Payton in that playoffs had zero touchdowns in the entire playoffs. Zero. He was the main reason they got to the playoffs on the offensive side of the ball. And he didn't get a single touchdown. In the Super Bowl, his backup got a touchdown. Jim McMahon got two touchdowns. And the Fridge got a touchdown. Walter Payton got none in the Super Bowl. Even Mike Ditka, the coach, says it's one of his major regrets not handing the ball to Walter Payton. Jim McMahon had two rushing touchdowns. Walter Payton had zero The Fridge had one. Just hand the ball and let the Fridge lead block for Walter Payton. Walter Payton would score a touchdown. There's quotes of saying, though they were doubling him every play. His mere presence was enough for the Bears to get the Super Bowl win. When you're at the one-yard line, as many times as the Chicago Bears were, you're telling me Walter Payton couldn't get in the end zone from one yard out. Walter Payton, one of the greatest running backs of all time, depending on who you ask, the greatest running back of all time, he couldn't get in from one yard out. I don't really think that would have happened (laughs) I think he would have gone in with ease I think he would have jumped over the line and I think he would have scored a touchdown four rushing touchdowns were scored in that game none of them were by Walter Payton Ditka has even said that's one of the dumbest decisions one of his major regrets as a head coach is that not letting Walter Payton score a touchdown in the playoffs when the year they won the Super Bowl and then the other one I got on here—that's obviously a big one—but that's not really that doesn't really change the fabric of the Chicago Bears. I think this, the one next to it, tied at number five, is the hiring of Mark Trestman. The Mark Trestman Bears are something that gets talked about, and you don't really believe it happened, but it did. Like Mark Trestman, legendary Canadian football coach of the Montreal Alouettes. Coach there won two Grey Cups. For those of you who don't know, those are the Super Bowls in Canadian football. He won two of them. Now he's got three, but he had two of them at the time. He was a constant figure in the playoffs. He went to three Grey Cups in his time in Montreal. He went to the East Semifinals once. He lost in the East Final. He went 11-7. His offense was legendary up in Canada. It was legendary stuff. He was the offensive coordinator of NC State prior to that. He's the assistant head coach for the Miami Dolphins in 2004. Uh, he was the offensive coordinator run quarterbacks coach of the Oakland Raiders, quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator of the Cardinals, quarterbacks coach of the Lions. Like, if you look at what, what went on here in his time as these coaches, you look at the teams he's coached, bar the San Francisco 49ers, For those, uh, well, was that the year Steve Young won the Super Bowl? Was that afterward? That was after Steve Young won the Super Bowl, so I don't even know about that point. But the Lions, not great for their quarterbacks, especially in the 90s. Arizona Cardinals, not known for their quarterbacks or high-powered offense, especially in the 90s. The Raiders, okay, I'll give you that. Rich Gannon had a very nice season, won an MVP, went to a Super Bowl after John Gruden got traded to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Miami Dolphins, as the assistant head coach in 04, weren't really doing a lot down there and then yeah then you're out of the NFL going to the NC State then you go to Montreal Alouettes go four years there Win two three great or two great cups go one three great cup finals you're the coach CFL coach of the year in 2009 and then you make the trip to the NFL to be a head coach maybe this is just me not knowing a lot but when is hiring a CFL coach ever really worked out because the game doesn't necessarily translate to the NFL yes it's football but does it always translate? No. It's translated more in the later part, or the earlier parts of the CFL, with like Doug Flutie and Warren Moon balling out up there, but in recent history, moving up from the CFL to the NFL doesn't always work out, and Mark Trestman, and that offense that the Bears had, yes, it was decent in the first year they had it, Bears went 8-8, eight and eight, and then the next year, they went 5-11, and 11. didn't qualify the playoffs, came last in the NFC North, the GM, Phil Emery, was fired, and Mark Tressman was fired. Two seasons as the coach of the Chicago Bears. You talk to Chicago Bears about Mark Tressman. They speak of horror stories. And then he came back after he was done in the NFL, went back to the Canadian Football League in 2017, won another Grey Cup, and then went 4-14 four and 14 the next year, and then made his trip down to the Tampa Bay Vipers, of the XFL and went one in four before the season got canceled. Mark Tressman and the Chicago bears were one of the worst marriages in NFL history. It was not a good fit. And it just, I mean, they thought it would fit. He's an offensive genius. Bears had the fifth best offense in the league yardage wise in his first year as the head coach. Got blown out multiple times. Had five game losing streak to end the season. His second year. Despite this, Tre- Tre- this is from Wikipedia. Despite this, Tressman spoke with confidence that he would be back as the Bears head coach. The following, following a thirteen nine loss to the Minnesota Vikings. The very next sentence: Tressman and general manager Phil Emery were fired at the end of the season. The the whole thing of the Mark Tressman era in Chicago is scary and no bears fan wants to talk about it. he's like the the older version of dirt cutter the Tampa Bay buccaneers dirt cutter was given a head coaching job did he deserve it probably not but he got one an offensive genius and it just didn't work out now he's back as an offense coordinator and mark Tressman's not even doing anything anymore since the xfl uh canceled and folded pretty much so I think that's joint number five. I couldn't really decide between the two of them because one of them actually did put the Bears back a little bit. The other one's just like a, a personal thing for one of the greatest players of NFL history. Uh, number four on this list. Now, this is going to be very quarterback heavy here on this list because the Bears, other than the Browns, I think are the most quarterback-hungry franchise in NFL history. Maybe more so than the Browns because the Browns at least had Bernie Kosar for a little bit. And he, and Otto Graham, like they have those two quarterbacks, legendary Browns figures. I know Otto Graham's Hall of Famer, Bernie Kosar, got the Browns to two AFC championship games on the brink of a Super Bowl. Just couldn't get there. And the Bears, their greatest quarterback in their history is Jay Cutler. And we're talking about passing yards wise, Jay Cutler is the greatest quarterback in In Chicago Bears history think about that for a little bit smoking Jay Cutler is the greatest quarterback in Bears Bears recent history so obviously got Sid Luckman there as well all the way back and however long ago you want to go the 50s 30s 40s like it's a long time ago other than him there hadn't been great Chicago Bears quarterbacks Jay Cutler is the all-time leading passer in Chicago Bears history. That is crazy. (laughs) That is absolutely insane that Jay Cutler is the all-time leading passer in Bears history. Jay Cutler has all the talent in the world, but could have cared less at times. It just seemed like, oh, I don't want to be here anymore. So, let's just go over the Jay Culler experience in Chicago. And I'm not saying just Jay Culler's entire existence in the Chicago Bears. That's not what I'm dissing on here. Something else. So, Culler got traded to the, from the Broncos to the Bears for a pretty hefty thing, a pretty hefty fee. His first season in Chicago, he throws a league-high and career-high 26 interceptions in his first year in Chicago. So, that's what – it's not great. Not a lot of people are excited about that. You just – moved heaven and earth to get this guy any of those 26 interceptions first season now that's Jameis Winston numbers right there Jameis Winston's balling he's one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history 27 26 was Jay Cutler's touchdown interception record that year Jay Cutler vastly improved the season after after 23 touchdowns only 16 interceptions went 10 and five on the season and then you keep going on Jay Cutler's career in the Chicago Bears and it's just marred with disappointment and false confidence. But the thing that really was bad was the contract they gave to Jay Cutler after the 2014 season or the 2013, which one was it? after the 2013, or 2014 season, he got a big contract after one of these two seasons. I got to find out which season it was though. Cause I was, it's hard to find out what season this would, this is, because I've always had a hard time going like, oh, it's after this I think it's the twenty fifth, the start of the twenty fourteen season, January of twenty fourteen, I think it was. They signed Jay Cutler to this massive contract. Massive so much. Seven years. $126 million. $54 million guaranteed. This is prior to the 2014 season. Cutler is coming off a season where he threw 19 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. That's the season he is coming off of. Okay? Let's put that in perspective. 19 touchdowns, 12. $126 million contract. For $54 million guaranteed. Would keep him there until he was 37 years old. The sixth highest paid player in the league. Higher paid than Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, and division rival Aaron Rodgers. Jay Cutler. That season, the Bears finished 5-11. The Bears, after they gave Cutler that contract, finished 5-11, 6-10, and then Cutler only played five games the last year in Chicago before they opted out of his contract. You sign him to a seven-year contract and sign him, opt out after two years? Pretty much? That's how bad the contract was. Jay Cutler was just done in Chicago. Like I said, he just didn't care anymore, it felt like. They had no winning seasons. He didn't play great. It was just, again, marred in disappointment and overconfidence. You look back at 2012, they went, to, what, 11 and 5? I think it was there, 10 and 6? They didn't qualify for the playoffs. Like, the Bears, there's so many times where it's like, man, they are so close. They're going to be back. The Bears are back. And then it's just shadowed with overconfidence and sadness. <laughs> That's just what it is being a Bears fan. Spencer Feinberg is one of my best friends. Biggest Bears fan I know in my entire life. I have never met a Biggers Bears fan. That kid hates the Bears as well. (laughs) Bears fans have a very love-hate relationship with their team. And Jay Cutler is a big reason for that. And the Bears did not help themselves by signing him to one of the biggest contracts in the NFL after not making the playoffs since 2010. I don't think that was very smart. Keeping him there until he's 37. Bears fans didn't want him there that long. They were like, okay, we need to try something different. Jay Cutler has grown with, has gotten more popular after being out of the league than he ever was being in the league, which shows how much he was loved in the league. he hasn't done anything except be on Chris Cavallari's, uh, what do you want to call it, a reality show or whatever but, yeah, that contract is just so funny. Six highest paid in league. Would keep him there until he's 37. They opted out after two and a half years pretty much, three years. That's crazy. He still had four years left on his contract. And then went to play with the Dolphins and didn't do anything there because Adam Gase was their quarterback guru, Adam Gase. That's yeah, just a crazy contract. Number three is Cade McNown. Okay, Bears fans much, way worse than Jay Colors, Cade McNown. Cade McNown was drafted 12th overall in the, what draft was this, 1999 draft? I believe, yeah, 1999, 12th overall pick. Cade McNown was fresh off becoming a Heisman finalist at UCLA, had great numbers for the Bruins throughout his college career. He had three, 400 yards his last season, 25 touchdowns, 11 interceptions his last season, he had good numbers. Kate McNown was a, a good college quarterback. But this draft class is historically bad for quarterbacks. It was the last time three quarterbacks were taken back-to-back-to-back picks at the top of the draft with Tim Couch and Akili Smith surrounding Donovan McNabb. You have da- Dante Culpepper there as well. Just not a very good draft class for quarterbacks. The bra- The Chicago Bears traded back in the draft with the Washington Redskins. Washington Redskins, with the 7th pick, selected Hall of Fame cornerback Champ Bailey. First ballot Hall of Famer. One of the greatest cornerbacks of all time. Selected him with the pick the Bears trade back with. With that pick of trading back, if they stayed at 7, they could have taken Champ Bailey. Or, if they still wanted the quarterback, could have taken Dante Culpepper, who played for the Minnesota Vikings, had decent years at Minnesota Vikings very much helped by the likes of randy moss but you could have taken him but you didn't he could have done a lot of things with this pick as far as skill players go if you just stayed at seven champ bailey's there chris McAllister. if you want another cornerback dante culpepper if you're feeling quarterback still uh javon curse Damien woody for an offensive lineman antoine winfield another cornerback like there's so many good players you are not so many, but there's a good amount of good players you could have taken instead of Cade McNown. And now we are sitting here talking about how he's one of the biggest busts in Chicago Bears history. Cade McNown alienated players, he blamed everybody else but himself. He never nailed down the starting job, played, started 15 games in two years in Chicago, threw 16 touchdowns, 19 interceptions, completed 54% of his passes in his two years in Chicago. And was traded for a 7th round draft pick in the 2001 preseason. He was drafted 12th overall in 99. And in 2001 he's getting traded for a 7th round draft pick. That is the definition of a bust. Definition of a bust. He did nothing in the NFL. uh, Didn't even do anything on the Dolphins. Didn't do anything on the 49ers even though he was there. He lasted the NFL 4 seasons. That's how bad Cade McNown was. He was a Heisman finalist, consensus All-American, won the Johnny Unitas Award, Pop Warner Award, Pac-10 Co-Offensive Player of the Year. He lasted four seasons in the NFL. Started 15 games total. Like, as we said earlier, the Bears are one of the most historically bad franchises when it comes to quarterbacks. One of the most quarterback-deprived franchises in the league's history. so the fact that they drafted Cade McNown and he only lasted two years in Chicago shows it, it just bad terrible pick terrible quarterback traded back champ Bailey was right there if you still want a quarterback Dante Culpepper was a better quarterback like it was just a terrible pick all the way around uh no good came out of that one now these next two are more of recent history number two this one's a whole f- fiasco, I guess, you could, ask, if you ask me. The handling of the double doink situation. This dominated headlines throughout the entire offseason. The Bears held multiple kicker tryouts for double doink. It was a missed field goal in the playoffs, Nagy. Get over it. You don't need to make this big spectacle about it, about how we need a kick. We need to find a kicker. We're putting all this pressure on these kickers. And we're just, like, that just distracted everybody from whatever was going on. The handling of that whole situation was just stupid. It was just so dumb. And then you got Eddie Pinheiro, came in, did good stuff, I guess, in his first year as the Chicago Bears kicker. But it was just made in this whole media spectacle that no one cared about, but we were just forced to hear about all the time. So you wouldn't shut up about it. It was always around like, oh, double doink. What are the Bears going to do post double doink? Cody Park, he went on the Today Show. Uh, then you blasted him after that. Like the whole, the whole situation in general is just like, you can't put, of course, double doink is one of the worst situations in Chicago Bears history, but the handling of it and the, the presence and the aura around double doink was like, this is stupid. Why is this getting talked about as much? They missed a field goal. You know how many missed field goals have happened in the playoffs? Gary Anderson for the Vikings missed no field goals throughout the entire season and missed a chip shot. Nate Cading is the mo- one of the most accurate regular season kickers in NFL history. Missed three in a game against the Jets in the playoffs, where the Chargers lost by three. Scott Norwood missed a field goal wide right in the Super Bowl. Blair Walsh missed a 20 yard field goal to beat the Seahawks. He was cut and we forgot about this was constantly brought up about oh we need to find a kicker oh we're having multiple kickers come in to try out we're having open tryouts for kickers why is this talked about so much missed field goals happen all the freaking time big whoop. big freaking deal Nagy, that you missed a field goal Stop talking about it. I'm tired of hearing about it. You know how many missed field goals there have been in NFL history at more crucial points than that game in an NFC wildcard game? You know how many more field goals have been missed that have meant more to a season than that one? So much more. I mentioned some that were already very much more important than that one. But we had to hear about it every freaking week. That's why it's hard to get beat or go past Cade McNair and dumbest decisions the Bears have ever made but that one has to go up there that's how bad that handling It's so annoying it still gets talked about and I'm like stop talking about it I'm tired of hearing about it and the number one is a joint one so you release Jay Cutler you go and sign Mike Glennon for 45 million dollars from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers I believe it's 45 million sign him so now the Bears fans are like, look, we got our starting quarterback. So let's look at Mike Glennon and his career at for the Chicago Bears. And we brought this up a couple days ago about how they just randomly swiped him. I think it was Akeem Hicks came out and just said, we signed Mike Glennon. Mike Glennon's just chilling at his house like, what? what did I do? I didn't do anything. So Mike Glennon, prior to that time, before he got signed by the Chicago Bears, um, had decent numbers. His first year in Tampa, started 13 games. 2600 yards 19 touchdowns nine picks next year uh 1400 yards uh 10 touchdowns six interceptions didn't really play in 2016 and then got signed to a big contract to go to the Chicago Bears like he was drafted in the third round he came in started right away for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had good success in college at NC State and then gets signed to the Chicago Bears to a three-year 45 million dollar contract and then Right after that, on September 4th, he's named the starting quarterback of the Chicago Bears. So Glennon comes in expecting to be the star of the Chicago Bears. And then a month later, you go out and draft with the second pick, North Carolina's Mitchell Trubisky. Confusion erupted from the Chicago Bears' faith fans, faith, faithful fans, I guess. And it's been a disgruntled relationship between Trubisky and the Chicago Bears and the fans ever since he got drafted he was at a I think a, it was a Bulls or a Blackhawks game and Trubisky stood up said hello to the crowd and he got booed some kid said that he wanted to be Mitchell Trubisky when he grew up or he was Mitchell Trubisky for Halloween the crowd booed him like the relationship between Trubisky and Mike and Chicago has been bad ever since they drafted him because they never understood why they drafted him in the first place you signed Mike Glennon a month earlier to a $3 or $45 million contract, and then you'd go out and draft a quarterback, not only draft a quarterback, but trade up to get that quarterback? doesn't make a lot of sense. It's very confusing. If you didn't have that much faith in Mike Glennon, why did you sign him to a 3 or $45 million contract? It doesn't make a ton of sense. Bears fans were expecting the likes of, oh, we might get jamal adams oh we could get solomon thomas here and i know solomon thomas hasn't turned out to be the greatest player of all time but you could have gotten him because there was hype around him going in the draft as well maybe we could trade back there was nobody no on anybody's radar had the chicago bears drafting a quarterback with let alone the third pick most definitely the second overall pick in the draft like you look what the bears could have done yeah jamal adams there who was who? This guy I thought the Bears would draft at number three. I thought the Bears would take him, and McCaffrey, Marshawn Lattimore. If you want to go defense, Marlon Humphreys there, Tre'Davious White, T.J. Watt, Buddha Baker, like all these players that have been very good NFL players were there. And then you draft Trubisky, everybody's confused. So like you just signed a quarterback. Why are you drafting Trubisky? And then to couple on that with Trubisky getting drafted, in hindsight where you look back and you could have had either Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson, that is insane. Really looking at it. So not only did you sign Mike Glennon to a three or $45 million contract and then draft a quarterback to eventually replace him. Cause you didn't have that much faith in Mike Glennon. Why did you sign him in the first place? Then then you go out and get a quarterback that everybody thought needed a little time to develop. He started one year in college. He needed time to develop. He was coming from a good offense, a pro-style offense that would fit the NFL. So a lot of people were very high on Trubisky. But pretty much everybody said that this dude needs time to develop. He had one year of starting in college. One year. One year. Where he threw 3,700 yards, 30 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. And he could lead 68% of his passes. But the consensus was dude needs training. He needs to get eased into this. You look at the quarterbacks Mahomes had with Alex Smith, Deshaun Watson was probably the most ready to play day one, had Tom Savage and played right away. Essentially, Tom Savage got hurt, Deshaun Watson came in, yada yada yada. The Chicago Bears, at this point, when I did my mock draft for this year, I had Deshaun Watson as the best quarterback. I had Trubisky right behind him, though, which is stupid on my part for saying that now. But I did. I thought Patrick Mahomes needed time to develop in the league, much like trubisky i thought he made a lot of erratic throws which he still does but he completes a lot of them now because he's the best quarterback in the league but i was shocked when the bears took him number two the browns were the team i thought would take him and they had the 12th pick so i thought the browns would be up there trying to take a quarterback i don't have those mock drafts anymore so i i don't really know what i had there there but i had miles garrett going one. i had solomon thomas two, and then i had jamal adams going three so not only did you sign Mike Glennon, you also traded up to draft a quarterback. And then looking at it now from 2020 perspective, looking back in the 2017 draft, you could have had either a an MVP slash Super Bowl MVP slash Super Bowl winner, or Deshaun Watson, who was who is a top five quarterback in this league, or take the other option, which is the one you took of taking Trubisky. Now you could have been the Browns of trading out of the 12th spot. And then taking Deshaun Kaiser later, that could have been your fate. But you, the fact that you had the first choice of quarterback and you took Trubisky. Looking at it that time, yeah, it didn't seem like that was big of a deal. It was a It was a surprise that he went second into the Bears, but that he went first out of the quarterbacks was not that huge of a surprise. But looking at it now, it is a very dumb decision that has set the Bears back a little bit. Because if you imagine Patrick Mahomes with what the Bears have on defense now, it had have been crazy. Or even Deshaun Watson. That'd have been crazy to think about. They just need some semi-average quarterback play, and they'd be fine as a franchise. But they don't have that. And it's it's kind of hard to watch. But hopefully the Bears come back soon. But those are my top five dumbest things the Bears have done throughout their franchise history. So number five, the hiring of Mark Tressman slash not handing the ball off to Walter Payton in the playoffs or the Super Bowl. Number four, Jay Cutler's monster contract. Number three, drafting Cade McNown, 12th overall. Number two, the handling of the double doink situation. And number one, the signing of Mike Glennon and trading up to draft Mitchell Trubisky. So that's all I've got for you today on this Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I've got to get ready for a wedding and I will see you guys on Monday. Have a good day and... Peace.